Welcome to Refuge Fellowship. I hope you got your Bibles. You're going to need them today. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. I'm really excited about this message. It just We see such rich and deep lessons from this as we learn about the three trials of Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, let's open them up to Matthew chapter 27. And let's just do a quick review. I know we looked at these verses last time. But really just to get a little bit of context, I think we need to go back and just read these first two verses. So let's look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 and 2. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now Jesus, as we start this story today, we know that he's already been arrested. And he's already been illegally tried three different times by the Jewish authorities. Now this all happened during the night, right? We remember this. And they had found Jesus guilty. But what they found Jesus guilty of is blasphemy. Now they have sentenced Jesus to death. But we know and we can remember that the Jewish leaders, they couldn't carry out this sentence. Because, first of all, it was Passover. and it, But mainly because they were under the rule of Rome. And under this rule of Rome, the laws they were under prevented them from executing anyone. So they wanted... Also, they didn't want to. They want to be a part of executing Jesus, anyways. They hoped, and they were trying to get the Romans to do their dirty work for them. So, as we begin today's study, as we look at these three trials that Jesus faced before the Roman authorities, we should. I think we should look back and remember that everything that we're going to study today, everything that's happening was already prophesied. So I want to take a minute and turn to Isaiah chapter 53. If you've got your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 53. Let's look at first seven verses, Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's plans to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as the sheep is to silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. I went in a little bit into verse 8. But as we continue in the Gospel of Matthew today, we need to remember and know that everything we're going to read and study was always according to the plan of God. So now as we start, we remember it's very early in the morning. 
and the entire Jewish council, all the leaders, they brought Jesus before Pilate. And they were presenting this case, this case against Jesus. And if you want to look into this case a little more, what I'm speaking of here, you can look. It's in Luke chapter 23 in the first few verses, verses 1 and 2. But now as these Jewish leaders, as they presented Jesus in the case, it's an interesting note. They wouldn't actually go inside of these houses, of the palace, because they believed that if they were to step inside, that they would become unclean, that this would defile them. And it was Passover. So this would prevent them from celebrating the festival. You know, these leaders, they had no problem bringing these false charges against Jesus and demanding an innocent man be executed and given a death sentence. But they were so concerned with stepping into the Roman headquarters and becoming unclean. The stench of hypocrisy from these Jewish leaders is stronger than I could ever even imagine. So as they presented Jesus now to Pilate, Pilate is seeing this, and he wants no part of this. And he told these leaders, these Jewish leaders, he says, judge Jesus according to your own law, and leave him out of it. That was Pilate's first reaction. But then, these Jewish leaders, they told Pilate that it was only by Roman authority that Jesus could be executed. So then, I believe reluctantly, Pilate is now agreed to hear this case, and then would agree to question Jesus. So that's where we're going to pick up our story today in Matthew. Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. First question, right, as soon as I read this, I think we have to ask and just remind ourselves of who was Pilate. We, we know a lot about this Roman governor. We know a lot about this man that Jesus has brought before. So we know that Pilate was, he was appointed by the Romans, the Roman authorities, probably Caesar possibly. He was there to oversee this area, to oversee Israel. He ruled that area from 26 all the way till 36. Now it's interesting that normally Pilate wouldn't even been in Jerusalem, but because his main headquarters was in Caesarea. But now it's Passover time. So him and many of his soldiers were present there in Jerusalem, I'm sure to try to keep the peace during Passover, but probably more so to make a statement that the Romans were in control. So Pilate was the main Roman leader of Israel. But remember, he just happened to be in town because of the Passover festival. Now we know Pilate was no friend of the Jewish people. In fact, most all the Jews hated him. And for some pretty good reasons. You know, once he actually took the Jewish coinage and he changed it and he had a Roman symbol imprinted on that. You can imagine how people are really upset about this. But now these transgressions against the Jewish people, it didn't end there. He also had Roman statues brought into the temple area. Then he also used money that was from the temple and he used that money to build a water aqueduct. Pilate was known as a harsh, cruel leader and was hated by the Jews. Now, these Jewish leaders have brought Jesus before this man knowing he had no problem killing Jews. 
So let's just take a minute and put ourselves in the story and imagine what we see, what's taking place. They're in the, the headquarters of the palace. I'm sure Pilate would have been dressed with all his proper Roman gear and his, you know, whatever they would wear. And it's everything, all the authorities would be there. And then Jesus would be there, right? Imagine, just imagine what you would see. Jesus there, standing before Pilate. What did Jesus look like? Imagine that. What did Pilate look like? What do you see? You know, Jesus, we know, he would have been beaten already. He would have been bloody. I'm sure his clothes were all a wreck and torn. Then Pilate, in all his Roman attire, is sitting there looking at Jesus, beaten, bruised, bloody. And he looks at him, he asks the question, are you the king of the Jews? Now think about this. If Jesus were to answer, yes, this would have been treasonous before Rome because Caesar was the king. So what does Jesus say? He says, you have said it. This was pretty bold. Can you imagine this reply to Jesus to the one person who had the authority to have him crucified? I'm sure Pilate was a very intelligent man. And I, I believe by, as we look at his response later in the passages in the scripture, that he didn't believe that Jesus was any kind of threat to Rome. He knew there was something strange going on. And so now he looks and he turns and this conversation is gonna to turn to the Jewish leaders. Let's look at it in verses 12 through 14. But when the leading priest and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded, but Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. These Jewish leaders, they've brought three false charges against Jesus because they knew their charge of blasphemy wasn't a charge that Pilate would have any interest in. So they've now accused Jesus of encouraging the Jewish people not to pay the Roman taxes. They also have said that he has claimed to be their king. And also, they said that he's leading revolts or riots against the Roman rulers. They put up these charges. Pilate, he's now heard these charges from these Jewish leaders. And now he's turned to Jesus and he's asking, he's expecting Jesus to present a defense, right? I mean, who wouldn't give a defense? Yet we read that Jesus remained silent. This would have been strange because if Jesus wouldn't give a defense, if someone doesn't give a defense, you're gonna presume they're guilty. But you know what, We know, I know, and we've seen it, Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. So he's demanding Jesus, speak up, present your case. But Jesus didn't say anything. I can see this why this would surprise Pilate. I mean, think about it. If any of us were in this similar situation, what would be your response if you were falsely approved of some crimes, and then if you were found guilty, it would be led to your execution by crucifixion. I think all of us would have a lot to say about our defense. So why didn't Jesus speak up? Why didn't he give 
a defense to these false charges. I want to turn back to Isaiah again. Turn back to Isaiah 53. Let's look at verse 7 again. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Jesus' time had come, and Jesus' time to save the world from its sins was upon him. And Jesus knew this is, this is how it was going to take place. Now, Jesus had struggled before. We read about that a few weeks ago. But he overcame that in prayer. Remember in the garden, in his prayer? You know, this, this whole story here, as this takes place, we got to remember, and we see this in Isaiah. This was all happening according to God's plans. And Jesus was in complete control. Turn to Luke real quick. Luke chapter 23, verses 6 and 7. This is his response. Oh, is he a Galilean? Pilate asked. When they said that he was, Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas, because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction, and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. Pilate knew, he knew what was going on here was wrong. So he's trying to pass on this problem to someone else. Now, in Matthew's account, it doesn't really account for this. So that's why I want to turn to Luke to look at what takes place next. So turn to Luke, and we're just going to, I mean, we're already there, but turn, we're going to look at verses 8 through 12, because Matthew doesn't, uh, he leaves us out. Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus, because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. Meanwhile, the leading priests and teachers of religious law stood there shouting their accusations. Then Herod, Herod sorry, and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, became friends that day. So as we can read, now Jesus has a, at a, a second trial, right? Before Herod. Now who was this Herod? I think we've heard of him before. We know he was half Jewish, but we also know he wasn't a Jewish citizen. But he was appointed by Pilate to oversee the area around Galilee, a smaller section of Israel. That's where Jesus was from, right? We know that. So actually, Jesus would have been under his authority. That's why Pilate has sent him there, trying to pass it on to him. Now, do we remember what else he had done? Remember who had John the Baptist killed? And he is also, before we know that, he had already threatened to kill Jesus once before. So now Jesus is before this man. And it's very clear and apparent that he'd already heard about Jesus. But now we see that he had a, a fascination or he was hoping to be maybe a curiosity. He wanted to see what he had, from what he had heard, if it was true. So now Jesus is before him. And he's, this, this leader, he's hoping to be entertained by Jesus. He wants Jesus to perform a miracle for him. 
Jesus wasn't going to have any part of this circus act. He wasn't going to perform any miracles to entertain this man. And I tell you, sadly, I've seen with my very own eyes, quote, churches that kind of fall under the same description. That they will gather hundreds of people into this big stage, and they'll go find some sick or disabled person, maybe lots of them, they'll bring them up, for, up on the stage, and then they'll try to perform a miracle so everyone can see. Now, I do believe in miracles, and I believe God heals people every single day. But I don't believe miracles are ever done for entertainment or to glorify man. I also believe that many of these, quote, churches or, quote, pastors who are holding this type of service are, in fact, not performing miracles or healing that are of God. Take that for what it's worth. Let's get back into the passages. Jesus didn't say a word, but Jesus knew that he had a hardened heart. That's why he didn't say a word. Herod wasn't interested in hearing if Jesus was innocent or not. He was just hoping to be entertained before Jesus would be executed. Now, just as Jesus remained silent, we also can follow this example sometimes. Sometimes when people are asking us questions or interrogating us or trying to accuse us, but they're not actually interested in the truth, we don't need to engage in sometimes useless conversations. When they have no intention to listen or to hear, but they're only trying to promote their own agenda, sometimes it's best just to follow Jesus' example and just remain silent. As we continue, we're going to see that Harold and the soldiers, they were mocking him and ridiculing Jesus. Can you imagine this taking place, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Just imagine what he endured. I mean, there's so much more that we're going to read about soon, but just think about this as we read this and we see this. Jesus endured all of this so God's will could be done. This all took place. Now, as this took place, I'm sure these, these Jewish leaders that have brought Jesus forward with these charges, I think they were very unhappy now because I think they were looking for a very quick and decisive judgment and to be done with Jesus. And they wanted to get on, get on with Passover, get on with their festival. But now Jesus, again, see, he got sent back to Pilate. So turn back to Matthew chapter 27. Let's look at verses 15 through 18. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd. Anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. I'm sure Pilate, as Jesus now has come back before him, he was pretty disappointed. He was hoping this thing would have just went away. But now, again, he has to deal with Jesus. Pilate believed he had, I think as you read this, I think Pilate now has, he's come up with a plan, a way to satisfy both the Jewish leaders and his own conscience. So he's offered to release someone. Assume, I'm sure he assumed the crowd would pick Jesus. Again, shifting his own responsibility to condemn Jesus. I'm sure if you think about it, Barabbas 
I'm sure there were lesser criminals to release than him. I mean, who was he? He was a Jewish man. We know he's taken part in some kind of rebellion against the Romans. This is not a man that I'm sure Pilate would have normally offered up to release. He was a murderer. He was a thief. I'm sure maybe he was liked by some Jewish zealots. But I'm sure Pilate brought this man forward, assuming that the people would choose Jesus over this murderer. This was not some guy you would want released into your neighborhood. This custom is interesting. This custom of releasing a prisoner on Passover. This was an opportunity for Pilate, for the Roman government, to maybe help mend a little bit of relationships between them and the Jewish people. Maybe a little bit to keep the peace. You know, it's interesting. This practice still takes place today in different countries. In which, when this is done, it can either correct maybe an injustice, or sometimes it can even release a criminal back into society. I believe it's done and meant to show the people mercy. But in this case, I believe Pilate could see, he saw right through what was really going on in the Jewish leader's plot. And he was trying to use this method to release Jesus. So let's see what happens in verse 19. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Think about this. Just wait a minute. Think about this. This was like a court hearing, an official hearing before people. And right in the middle of all of this, Pilate's wife was so shaken by this dream or this vision that she sent someone in the middle of all of this to interrupt the court. It's very interesting. I believe God was using Pilate's wife to speak truth to Pilate, to give him an opportunity to do the right thing. I know we see God many times throughout the Bible. He's used dreams to speak to a person into their life. So I say this is very possible, but it doesn't mean every dream has some divine message from God. Because most dreams that we have really don't, I don't think they have much meaning, but God does use dreams sometimes. And in this case, he surely was. In this instance, God was using a person closest to Pilate in a dream to give Pilate an opportunity to choose Jesus. He, Pilate had all the evidence to show that Jesus was innocent. So what would he do? Let's look at verses 20 through 21. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, Crucify him. The people have insisted that Jesus be crucified. Their hatred for Jesus was so intense. Just think about this. They chose to have a murderer released over Jesus. This doesn't even make sense. Why was there so much hatred for a man, for Jesus, the one who has healed the sick, the one who was teaching about forgiveness? Why have the people chosen Jesus over this criminal. I believe the answer then and today is the same. I mean, today, why do people hate Christians? Why? When our whole 
basis is based on love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. This hatred, just as it was then, just as it is today, is spiritual. It's because people, they love their sin, they love their lust, they love their pride, they love their money, they love being their own God so much that they hate anything that would come between them and the world and their sins. The testimony that we see from Jesus says that we are accountable for our sins. So the, so I believe people, they believe that if they believe that Jesus isn't true, then they won't be held accountable. They believe somehow by not believing in Jesus, they're safe to live in any which way they please. They hate anything that would become, that become between them and their fleshly, worldly desires. Let's read verses 24 through 25. Pilate saw he wasn't getting anywhere and the riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death. We and our children. Pilate knew where this was leading. He knew how this would turn out if he did not crucify Jesus. So he was not willing to stand up for Jesus. So he makes three statements. First, right, he says he washes his hands of this. And then the second one, he claims his innocence in condemning Jesus. And then he, he places the responsibility of this. He says this falls on the Jewish people. None of this is true. Pilate has given in to the pressure of the world. Let's continue in verse 26. Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Then he turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Pilate was following the Roman tradition. It was common for the men who were facing crucifixion to be whipped, both to weaken them for a quick death on the cross, but also many times to try to get a confession for their crimes. Now, do you realize what this Roman whip was? This wasn't a normal whip. This Roman whip would have been made from leather, but also it would have been tipped with pieces of bone, like bone fragments, which would be very sharp, and also possibly lead, little pieces of lead, which would have given a lot of weight. You know, it's, it's said that many of the people that were flogged or whipped, they didn't even live to face their crucifixion. This beating that would have taken place would have literally ripped just think of this, as Jesus is up there, it would have literally torn chunks of flesh off your body. Each time that whip was cracked and brought back, chunks of your flesh would have been torn off your body. It's brutal. But I think we need to have a picture of this to understand what Jesus has done for us, what he has endured for each of us. This didn't just happen a few times though. Up to 40 times this whip cracking each time, pulling back, pulling chunks of Jesus' flesh back with him. As you think about that and think about what Jesus endured, I want to turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. Think about that as you turn there. Isaiah 50, verse 6. I offered my back to those who beat me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Now turn just a few pages to Isaiah 53, verse five. 
Again, we're looking at that. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Jesus loves each and every one of us so much that he endured this torture. But he, he endured this while we were still his enemies. Jesus did this so each of us could be forgiven our sin. Just think about this. Just reflect and remember what Jesus has done for you. Turn back to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to look at verses 27 through 31. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out an entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. What these soldiers were doing to Jesus was no more than a game to them. It was just simple entertainment. This was actually a common practice to treat a prisoner that was heading to crucifixion this way. They had dressed Jesus up in their outer coats as a robe. They had twisted branches, thorn branches, into a crown and placed it upon his head. They gave him a stick to hold as a scepter. Can you just imagine this in your mind? Jesus there, beaten, whipped, bloody, standing there for you, for me, enduring this so we can have eternal life, so we can have our sins forgiven. Just think of this. The soldiers then, they drew out a basically what would be equivalent to a game board in the dirt. You read up on this. So then they had a game board, drew out in the dirt, and then they would throw dice playing a game. They used Jesus dressed up like this as they mocked him as a game piece. As they spit on him and they hit him. And then when they got bored of doing this to our Lord and Savior, in the last part we see they led him away to be crucified. It's a difficult picture to imagine. I don't think we truly can in any sense of the means. What he endured for us. As we look at the scriptures today, I just hope that we would remember who we are in Jesus because of what he did for us. That he endured this so each one of us could have an opportunity to come to faith in him. There's so many lessons as we look at these passages. And I see some of the main lessons that I noticed are at the expense of Pilate. And we can learn several from him. We know that Pilate he knew Jesus was innocent. He was even warmed by God through a dream through his wife. But he chose to cave in to the pressures of the world. Are we ever guilty of that? Knowing the right thing, but doing something else because of what the world, how the world would react to us or what the world would do to us or what the world would think of us. Think about that. You look back at verse 21 
Which of these two do you want me to release to you? Jesus or a murderer? That was the question. The innocent one or the guilty one? Each of us all at some point need to answer this question. Everyone at some point will have to choose. Is it Jesus or is it the world? Every one of us, we have free will. And every one of us, at some point, the truth will be presented to us. Just as it was to Pilate. He saw the truth. He knew. But he rejected it. Because he saw the cost was too high, he felt. He rejected it. Because of what the world would have done to him. Pilate rejected Jesus and embraced the world around him. I know we're talking kind of on a bigger scale with this when I'm talking about this, but I think we face decisions similar to this every day. We need to make decisions to follow Jesus each and every day and make decisions that would be pleasing to the world no matter the cost or what the world would think of us. Today I want to close with a quote and also reading some passage in Psalms. The quote I'd like to read to you is from Chuck Smith. Here it is. You can't escape it. Jesus will not allow you any neutrality. He said, He that is not for me is against me. Therefore, you must decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Either believe or not believe. Either accept or reject. Either confess or deny. Think about that. We alone must make that choice. We alone are responsible for the choices we make. To either follow Jesus or to follow the ways of this world. Hear your Bible still. I want to turn to Psalms. Psalm 22. I want to read the first 10 verses and close with that. These really just spoke to me. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors, ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. Please pray for me, with me. 
Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this reminder of what you've done for us, Lord. It's just this unimaginable, unimaginable, just, I can't even, it's unimaginable. The pain, the distress, what you did for each one of us, Lord. Yet, Lord, all you ask is that we come to you in faith. That we turn from our sins and we turn to you. We see this example of Pilate, Lord, where he knew the truth. You had spoke to him in many ways, yet he refused. He refused you, Lord. Lord, I pray if there's anyone out there today, Lord, that doesn't know you, Lord, they wouldn't make this mistake, Lord, that they would turn to you. But I also pray, Lord, as we go out into the world, as Christians, we can still face many different situations many challenges. Lord, I pray that we remember the story of Pilate. That no matter what the world would think of us or what it would do to us, Lord, we would follow your word. Lord, that we would walk as righteous children of God, no matter what the world would do. Lord, I know I can't do this on my own. I'm just incapable. But through your power of your Holy Spirit living in me, Lord, I know you will help me through this, Lord. You'll give me discernment. You'll give me wisdom. You will show me. So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you continue to bless us in these ways, that we continue to walk uprightly in your name. And, Lord, I just, again, I just thank you and praise you for all that you endured so I could be free from my sins. I could be released from that slavery, from that bondage. You paid a great price for me, Lord. I thank you. I acknowledge what you did for me, Lord. I just thank you and I praise you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please join us for worship. And as we worship, I just pray that each of you would just reflect this question that we have to make each day. Jesus or the world. That we, through the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit, would make that decision each day to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we would also, as we do that, we remember what He's done for each one of us. The price that He paid. We know He'd given His life for us. But it was a horrible process before that that He went through. From the humiliation, people spitting on Him, dressing Him up, using Him as a game board piece. People beating Him whipping him with lead-tipped whips. Just remember how valuable you are because the price that Jesus Christ paid for you. I love you guys. Can't wait to see you soon, and God bless.